Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Now you would have just seen on the screen, and I want to continue with the theme of Isaiah's vision, Christ's fulfillment. Isaiah saw something remarkable and Jesus fulfilled it. And uh, as you saw on the screen, 1946-47, a discovery was made in Qumran of the Dead Sea Scrolls in a cave in that vicinity. A shepherd threw a stone inside, heard pottery cracking, and went inside and discovered these clay jars with these uh, parchments in. Uh, some, some 1,200 manuscripts were in there. Three of, 300 of them were biblical texts. And amongst the, the biblical texts, one of seven key biblical texts was the book of Isaiah. And uh, the, the importance of this find is interesting. Uh, the book of Isaiah that they found was written about 150 years before Jesus came. Isaiah prophesied almost 700 years before Jesus came. So they find these manuscripts and they find the book of Isaiah. And this book was written 150 BC. Isaiah wrote almost 700 BC. So 600 years later, these people are writing, 600 years later, and it's exactly the same to the detail. Nothing left out, nothing altered. And it's an amazing find because it verifies the, the, the book of Isaiah. In fact, the book of Isaiah is a very important book, and this scroll is now in a special building at the Israeli Museum. It's got its own building, and it's in a glass case. It's a, it's a long strip. It's, a, it's a seven meters long, and it comprises of 66 chapters, obviously, as you know, and 17 sheets. And uh, this, this parchment is called the Great Scroll of Isaiah, and it's considered very important because it verifies what Isaiah saw all those hundreds of years ago, even before Jesus came. And, um, and they've called Isaiah 53, the chapter about Jesus, they've called it the Holy of Holies of the Old Testament. Very interestingly, because this is the spot where Jesus is mentioned. Even though Isaiah is an interesting prophet, he talks all about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And Isaiah talks about Jesus as a baby. Isaiah talks about Jesus coming as a sacrifice, his resurrection. And then Isaiah talks about the new, new millennia that's coming when we will live with Jesus. So his prophecy spans many centuries, and it's a very, very important book. It also talks about crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented. The Persians only invented crucifixion 150 years after Eli, uh, Isaiah. The Persians invented crucifixion 150 years after Isaiah. And uh, 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 the Romans came up with crucifixion only 800 years after Isaiah. So Isaiah in detail sees this crucifixion. And he talks about it, which is pretty fascinating. And to crucify comes from the Greek anastoro, which means to impale, to impale on a stake, literally, and to, to pierce someone. And Psalm 22 talks about how Jesus was, was crucified in detail, also hundreds of years before it happened, and uh, even to the point where they described the gambling for his clothes. I mean, amazing, the odds that Jesus could have fulfilled those prophecies. Are, are you with me this morning? And uh, so we read about this. Isaiah is very important because he also saw the throne room of God in Isaiah 6, had an encounter with God. Then he sees the Messiah, Jesus, coming as a suffering Messiah. And then when Jesus started his ministry, Jesus kind of lived his life as though he was fulfilling the book of Isaiah. John the Baptist preached that he was the voice 
in Isaiah, crying in the wilderness. Then Jesus comes and quotes Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So Isaiah is a very important book. Then in the New Testament, Isaiah is repeatedly quoted throughout the book, books of the New Testament. And one special occasion that I want to focus on for a moment this morning as we open and as we close is the one in Acts chapter 8. And I want to read to you here because here's, an, here's a, a man of royal standing. He is a, he's a eunuch and he's attached to Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And he's riding in his chariot and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit prompts a man called Philip, a deacon read about two chapters earlier, who was serving the church. The Holy Spirit prompts him and, and tells him to go to the chariot and, and run alongside it. And so the Bible says you're in Acts 8. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless, unless, someone, unless someone explains it to me. See, the Bible needs to be explained to you. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Now, he was reading Isaiah chapter 53, verses seven and eight. And today I'm about to explain those scriptures to you. And then we'll come back and see what the eunuch did after hearing the explanation. Are you with me? But before we can get to Isaiah 53, which is so popular, the 12 verses called the Holy of Holies, Isaiah 52 actually starts describing Jesus. You remember chapter breaks were only made in the 15th century for convenience, not for spiritual reasons. And the chapter breaks were sometimes in the wrong place. The story carries on or the story is cut into in the middle. 52 already talks about Jesus. I want to read that because Isaiah saw Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension in great detail. And here Jesus comes along and fulfills it. So let's read 52, because here's the introduction of who this man would be. Verse 13. It says, see my servant will act wisely. So Jesus will be a servant before he'll be king. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. This is not speaking of him being raised up on the cross, but this is, this is where his ultimate destiny would be. And then it says, uh, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. One day when they realize who he is, they'll be like, but until that time, they're going to disregard him, which we will read about later. But it's interesting here that it says that he'll be raised up as I seeing the future. He'll be a servant. And then it says he'll be disfigured and marred beyond human likeness. The Passion of the Christ movie portrays this very clearly. When you go to cathedrals, you often see Jesus out of respect for him. The artist would portray him almost like he was anemic and he's got low blood pressure. It's kind of his eyes are rolled back partly and he's got a little puncture. You know, very sweet, very discreet, nice for a public church. But Jesus was beaten to the point where Isaiah says you couldn't recognize him as human. Now, why am I harping on that? Is because Isaiah saw it in detail, Jesus fulfilled it, and you better appreciate it. Because that was done for your sin. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. That's what sin does. That's what sin will do to your life if you let it have its way. It will ravage your life. Bitterness, unforgiveness, theft, murder, adultery, all the things we do against God, they damage us, not God. 
Are you with me? And so Jesus took that punishment upon himself. It says he would sprinkle nations. He wouldn't just touch one group of people, but nations would be touched and significant kings would be affected. And the word sprinkle is the word nazar, which we get from the Old Testament. It's what the priest did when he offered up the lamb. Remember, they took the lamb, offered it on the altar for the sins for one year. Then he would take some of the blood and he'd sprinkle it on the utensils, on the vessels, on the altar. And the reason he would nazar or sprinkle them is to take ordinary things or unholy things and make them holy or special. Jesus, it says here, would die. He would be brutalized and through his brutalization would sprinkle the ordinary, us the unholy, and he would make us special. And here, hundreds of years, Jesus is portrayed, Isaiah sees it, and Jesus fulfills it. And then he also talks about him being exalted. Notice Philippians 2, after Jesus is raised from the dead, the apostle Paul says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. Three verses here in great detail already pointing to the Holy of Holies in chapter 53. So let's look at six things that Isaiah's vision showed him that Jesus fulfilled in great detail. Are you with me this morning? Number one, he saw Jesus as ordinary and hated. The Messiah would come, and, but he would be ordinary, and he wouldn't be welcomed. He would be hated. How interesting is that? I mean, the odds of one man coming along and trying to fit all that is impossible. It clearly is a plan of God. Isaiah 53 and reading from verse 1. And notice verse 1 is very important. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, who's taken this seriously, this amazing thing that God is doing? Then he says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a young boy, like a root out of dry ground. Dry ground. Israel was spoken of as dry ground. They were religious, but there was no life. And it was dry ground, and he would come out of Israel. He would be Jewish, and he would spring up, and he would bring life. Amazing prophecy. Now watch this, ladies. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Can I just pause here? Most of us make our decisions based on looks. You choose a good-looking person, and you overlook their insides. Sometimes the, the, the most wonderful people look ordinary on the outside. You see, God didn't make Jesus like a GQ man, where you've met, oh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no. He made him ordinary so that when he spoke, you heard truth. When he did miracles, you almost couldn't believe it. It's like, did he? Because if he was attractive, you would have been taken by his persona, by his charisma, but God made him ordinary. That's why portraying Jesus in paintings, that is so difficult. But Isaiah said, this is what he's gonna look like. That's gonna be the amazing thing about him. The magnetism is gonna come from inside. So when choosing a partner, look for spiritual depth rather than nice clothing and good looks. And all the men in the room should have said, thank you, Pastor Andre, we owe you. It says here he was despised and rejected, so ordinary and hated by mankind, a man of suffering. He didn't, not a man who suffered, a man of suffering, was a lifestyle and familiar with pain. Jesus knows your pain. 
When you have pain, he's not unaware of it. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. The king, the Messiah would come, but as I says, I saw, this is gonna be a weird thing. They're not gonna like him. And, and, and so let's just start out here, this tender shoot. Jesus grew up as a young boy in an obscure place, no great shakes. He, he's, he's the son of a carpenter, a tradesman. And you know, just let me remind you today, people think tradesman, yeah, 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 MBA, degree, doctor, lawyer, tradesman. I've got three trades, that's why I know, because when people hear you're a tradesman, it's like you fall down the ladder. You can almost hear a ding, 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 ding. But let me just remind you, Jesus was a carpenter, and if Jesus was a tradesman, I'm very happy to be a tradesman. But wait, 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 don't before you laugh. Here's the thing. God himself was a tradesman, and he started my trade, leather manufacturer. He killed an animal, and he clothed Adam and Eve. So I come from God and Jesus, and a long line of good tradesmen. But obscure, listen, why wasn't he born royalty, highly educated, highly religious? No, it was God's plan to show his glory. Isaiah saw that, Jesus accidentally, if you like, fulfilled that it could only be God's plan. And Jesus was hated, they, 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 they called him an insulting name, you're a Samaritan, they said he was demon possessed. They, they didn't respect the miracles he did, show us a sign, he goes to uh, preach his first sermon, and, and the Bible says that straight after the sermon, they take him to the brow of the hill and they want to throw him down. Imagine we open a campus somewhere and we're here. First day it opened, 500 people, but afterwards our campus pastor was thrown down off the top of the shopping center. Crazy, but Isaiah saw it. And uh, Jesus slipped through their hands, the Bible says, and went on his way. He goes to a place called Gadara. A man's got a, a thousand demons. He's, he's out of his mind. He's a raving lunatic. He cuts himself. People there must have thought, shame. They could do nothing, it says. He drives the demons out into the pigs. The man's in his right mind. You'd think the people would say, hey, come into our city. We've got dysfunctional families here. Help us. No, they only focused on the economy. Hey, this is going to affect gross domestic product. Leave here. Our focus is often wrong. We focus on the material instead of the spiritual welfare. But Isaiah saw that Jesus would be misunderstood and he would be rejected. I mean, you know, he was always attacked. The Pharisees tried to trap him. They tried to criticize him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. The disciples ran away. Isaiah saw all that taking place. And he was a man that experienced pain and suffering. A.B. Simpson was a Canadian pastor and author who said this, he said, we must never forget that Christ did not suffer just during his three years of public ministry or the last few days of his life when he was crucified. No, he suffered throughout his life on earth. He who was without sin lived daily with the corruption and sinfulness of lost humanity. It's important for us to know that Isaiah saw all that, Jesus endured that because he loved us and he wanted to free us from our sin. Number two. Are you with me this morning? Number two, he saw Jesus as God's chosen sacrifice for sins. God chose Jesus to be the lamb in human form that would take all the sins of the world away for all time. A lamb used to take it away for a year, but Jesus comes to take it away by God's design for all time. Well, we know that now because Jesus has come and the New Testament's been written, but Isaiah saw it earlier, Isaiah 53 and verse four, surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, not the Romans, stricken by him and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. I mean, amazing. He, he prophesied this before crucifixions even invented. He was crushed for our iniquities. Notice the two words, transgressions, iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, because we're at enmity with God, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now notice this and pay attention. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We lose our way, isn't that true? Just look at people politically. Bah, bah, they run off to someone. Bah, bah, they run off to that one. Bah, bah, and they all end up down a hole. And there they are, bah, bah. At the bribe, bah, 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 bah. What's happening to South Africa? Bah, bah, bah. I'm immigrating, bah, bah. Come on now. We don't know right from wrong, even though we profess to be so wise, we're easily led. But once you come to Christ, that easily being deceived is taken away because the wisdom of God should take its place. And while we have to vote and participate in everything, we mustn't be sheep. Can you say amen? But he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Watch this. Each of us, no exceptions, has turned to our own way. We're rebellious. And the Lord, not the Romans, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this was God's design that he would suffer. And the word punishment is mentioned twice here. He'd be stricken and afflicted and pierced, speaking of crucifixion, very clearly describing it. And, and then he'd be crushed. You know that Jesus was crushed when the cross fell on him? When he was going down the road, that's why they'd get someone else to help carry it. They said it was 135 kilograms, that cross, the average cross could have weighed more. And, and that would have crushed him as it fell on him, damaged him, maybe broken uh, 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 open skin and the back of his head, uh, didn't break any of his bones because none of his bones was broken, the Bible says in Psalm 22. But, but nonetheless, he wasn't just crushed by the cross falling on him, he was crushed by our sins when he was on the cross. So Jesus was really, really badly treated, but it was God's design because it was God's chosen sacrifice for sin. And then we read these two words, transgressions and iniquities. Transgress, transgression is when you break a law that you know you should keep, like we all do on the road every day. And that we, we transgress, and then the taxis transgress. Isn't that the truth? We know we should do certain things and we break the law, barrier lines and the like, which we did on the way to church right now because we were running late. You understand, transgress, there's a law, we break it. But iniquity, oh, isn't it the same thing? No, we are iniquitous. We don't just do things wrong, we are wrong because we come from Adam. Adam sinned and Adam's offspring are sinners. Jesus' offspring who receive him become righteous. And here it talks about how he would be that one who would take that uh, sin upon himself and uh, he would make us righteous and we would receive. And by his wounds, it says, we would receive healing. And remember, they gave him the 39 lashes on his back, ripped his back open. And they say there are 39 categories of major diseases. But Peter describes it more as a relational issue than actually a healing issue. And I want to read this to you because Peter was the leader of the disciples, 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Are you all still with me? A lot of information this morning, but it's important. I'm not equipping you today. I'm informing you today because today is not about you. It's about him. So 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for Righteousness, don't ever treat Jesus' death on the cross like, oh, cool, he took my sin away, so now I can just be me. No, you can't be you. 
Churches are teaching all around the world. We must just let everyone come and just let them be who they are. No, 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 we mustn't. Jesus died to excuse their sins, but to change their lives. And it says here we must live for righteousness. Are you with me? It's an extremely important passage of scripture. He died on the cross so we might die to sins like him and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now Peter uses a word for, if in the English language we understand, is an explanation. For you were like sheep going astray, relationally, and now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. His wounds didn't just bring you physical healing, but mainly it brought you back to him in a relationship. You know when you have a relationship issues with people, and, and, and there's broken relationships, which, which is terrible, it happens, and people are in strange. When people come back together, you know what we usually say? The relationship's been healed. Jesus took the wounds so we could receive healing. That's why we must work hard to preserve relationships. Sometimes it's impossible, but sometimes you can work to preserve relationships because it's so important because Jesus died. I love what Alan Redpath says when he talks about the crushing of Jesus. He says, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man and crushes him. Jesus was the impossible man who endured what we couldn't endure and desire sought, Jesus fulfilled it. Number three, you still good? He saw Jesus dying as a surrendered sacrifice. He was not only God's chosen sacrifice, but he surrendered as a sacrifice. I'm not sure any of us could surrender to such a beating. It's supernatural. You know, one of my friends posted on Instagram this morning. He posted the words of the thief on the cross. Do you remember the thief said this to Jesus? If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Do you know it's more human to get down? It's divine to stay there. Every human being wants to get off the cross. But Jesus showed he was really God by staying there. And yet it's a taunt. If you were, why didn't you? Well, it shows just how divine he is. He was the surrendered sacrifice. Isaiah 53 verse seven. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. That, wasn't, that, that was his will. He surrendered. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers, he silenced. So he did not open his mouth. Second time it says it in, in just one sentence. Just How many of you remember, were you, were you at church when I brought the sheep up on stage and I put it on the altar? Do you remember that? I know it made poops all over the stage because of the lights, but because it, it got jittery. I mean, animals get really scared of that kind of thing. We once brought a horse into the church next door and we thought we could use it. The thing nearly bolted across the chairs. That was a lesson learned. But a sheep, we brought the sheep in, we put it on the altar, and I put a knife to its throat, and it just lay there. Just lay there. I could have slit its throat. I've seen it happen on a farm. They put the sheep on the table, and they just slit its throat. It doesn't even know. Jesus was like that. They surrendered. They didn't corner him and say, no, we got you. And Jesus went, oh, no, no, we got you. Uh, (laughs) Father, give me a gap. Father, give me a gap. Oh, no, they, oh, no, they got me, okay. No, 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 who are you looking for, he says, when they came in the garden. Jesus of Nazareth, I am he, he says, and they all fall on the ground. Oh, can I help you up? He cuts the high priest's ear off. Jesus, come here, just let me heal you quickly before they go and kill me. We're dealing with someone, Jesus is not a prophet. He is, he's, he's the name above 
didn't open his mouth. Notice here, by oppression. This is, Zion saw the judgment. He saw the unfairness. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. They arrested him at night, illegally. Yet, who of his generation protested? No one stood up for him. No one turned and said, hey, hang on a minute. Let me, let me tell you what he did for me. Isaiah saw that betrayal, how the crowd would turn on him. For he was cut off from the land of the living. He really died. He didn't swoon. People believe Jesus swooned and then in the cold tomb he woke up. Oh, where am I? Okay, where's Mary Magdalene? And then he had kids with her. No, he didn't. Yeah, Isaiah tells us, I, I saw him. I saw him in the grave. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. You know, Jesus didn't defend himself. He was silent when he was accused and attacked. He just stood there. You know, if it, I think if it was me, imagine Jesus could have called a legion of angels, could have just raised his hand and whoosh. I think it was me if I was standing up here, I'd be like, okay, people are watching. People are watching. Pilate, just before I go, wait till I come back, eh? <laughs> You've got three days. Three, three, just three, so enjoy yourself because I'm coming back. When I come back, let me not say anything. Come on, you, you, you would. Now he's absolutely surrendered. Why? Because through his knowledge, many would be made righteous. He knew what was happening. This was God's plan. I'm chosen sacrifice and I need to surrender to it because the entire world will be saved. He was the sacrificial lamb instead of the lambs that were being offered year after year, he would be the one that would do it finally, that Isaiah saw. I think, Isaiah, I think Jesus must have grown up reading the book of Isaiah and thought, oops, okay, oh, that's hectic. Oh my word, God give me grace. He must have, you say, are you speculating? No, he started his ministry by the spirit of the Lord is upon me and, and this is fulfilled in your hearing today. Now, he knew exactly who he was and Serena shows you that this is only God that can do this because this is not humanly possible. He was the substitute for our sins. The innocent, that became guilty so that the guilty could be declared innocent. Eh? Isn't that amazing? And isn't it interesting that Pilate seven times declares him innocent, but doesn't stand up for him? Isaiah says here, he says, uh, he says yet who of his generation protested? Why didn't Pilate just say, look, get out of here, man. Don't be ridiculous. I find it, there's nothing I find. Come, go. No, instead he gives Barabbas the indeed guilty and keeps the innocent. All God's plan, as I saw all that in his vision, Jesus fulfills it. And it's because of the love that this lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the Bible says, goes to the cross and surrenders his life. You know, if you think about it, when Jesus was on the cross, some of you will know that Jesus made seven, said seven sayings from the cross. There were seven phrases that he used at the cross. And of those seven phrases, if you imagine someone suffering like that, you would imagine it would be very much about, man, this is sore. Oh, my word, I've got a cramp. What was that? I've got a cramp, yeah. Can you just rub? I mean, come on. Or someone standing here Man, it's sore. Are you okay? No. Start recording the Bible. What, what's recorded? Seven sayings. The first three are about other people. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'd be like, Father, forgive some of them because the rest of them did this on purpose. <laughs> but it wasn't about him. He was surrendered. Are you with me? And Isaiah saw that amazing surrender. 
The second phrase from the cross is to a thief who deserves punishment. Today you will be with me in paradise. He's giving forgiveness. He's giving paradise. He's giving and forgiving. And then he turns to his mother, woman, and he sees the disciple John. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. In other words, take care of her because I'm out of here soon. He's not focused on himself. Then in the middle, the middle one of the seven, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Legitimately, because the sin of the world's crushing him. But then he goes to the Father's will and realizes I've got three things I have to fulfill. First, he says, I thirst. You say, oh, that's about him. No, it's not. It's to fulfill a prophecy that he would thirst so that you wouldn't have to thirst. That's why he talks about living water. Then secondly, he says, it is finished. In other words, I've done everything you've asked me to do. And then he says, into your hands, I commend my spirit. It's all about the Father. It's all about others. And it's only in the midst of it, one thing about him. So can I say to you, when you go through pain and suffering, don't make it all about you. Make it about others and make it about God's will. Chuck Swindoll, the great author, said this, when you suffer and lose, that doesn't mean you're being disobedient to God. In fact, it might mean you're right in the center of his will. The path to obedience is often marked by times of suffering and loss. Sometimes our pride gets in the way, but you know, sometimes loss is gain. And we need to accept the pain, but Jesus was on his father's mission. Number four, he saw righteous Jesus dying for everyone. Everyone here is the focus. You say, well, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, 52 says you'll sprinkle nations, not just the nation of Israel. Isaiah 53 verse nine, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Two opposite poles of society. Though he had done no violence, this righteous man, nor was any deceit in his mouth, never swore, never lied, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. Oh, terrible word, crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. See, we're offspring of Adam, but we need to become offspring of Jesus, sons and daughters of the living God, and prolong his days. Jesus will live forever, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. In other words, he'll get the job done. What he attempts to do by the hand of God will work on God's behalf, and it will be successful. Can you see that there? And so the sinless man, Jesus Christ, Isaiah sees him dying with thieves on the cross. One on the right, one on the left. One is open to salvation, the other one isn't. Isn't that true of the world today? The same auditorium, some are sitting going, wow, this is great, oh Lord, touch me. Others are going, this is a load of rubbish, can't wait to get out of here and have an Easter egg. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a fact of life because we like sheep have gone astray. We have each turned to our own way and there needs to be a revelation. Who's believed our message, he says? Are you with me? And so there's this challenge, but Isaiah sees it here, but he sees he's dying with two thieves. Then when they take him off the cross, a rich man provides a brand new expensive tomb. Now you need to remember, people could live in tombs. This could be someone's home, but he, uses a, he gives it to Jesus, albeit just for the weekend. He gives it to Jesus, and Jesus is buried there. So listen, Jesus dies with poor, rotten, rebellious people who deserve to be punished, who've messed up their lives, but he also died for people who are rich, who have luxuries, who drive luxury cars and live in expensive homes. Jesus is not the God of the poor, he's the God of everyone. And let me reiterate this, Jesus, everyone needs Jesus. 
Everyone needs Jesus, the rich and poor alike. It's not to do with your status or your financial position. It's to do with your heart that needs saving. Because we're all iniquitous and we all transgress. And here we see him dying for everyone, portrayed by these two groups of people. And, and, uh, and, and the Lord crushes him. It's such a terrible word. He crushes, he caused him to suffer. Why? So that we could be born again. You and I become offspring. You know, we, there's a song that uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash used to sing after the Woodstock Pop Festival. And, 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 and they sing that, word, that, word, that I'm a child of God. Because you know, you've got long hair and bees. I'm a child of God. No, you're not. You're actually a child of Satan, the Bible says. You are. You're a child of the earth and you're a child of man. You only become a child of God when you receive Jesus as your Savior and God as your Father. And Jesus here, it says of his offspring, he will see those who receive him become his offspring. We're offspring of Adam, but the second Adam came to make us offspring of God. And every tribe and every nation, Jesus died for all of us, black, white, whatever race, whatever strata of society. Pity this wasn't preached some 30 years ago. Our country might be better off than it is today. The late U.S. Senate chaplain Richard Halverson said this, he said, the fact is, the fact is the birth, crucifixion, and bodily resurrection of Jesus is celebrated worldwide by folk of every race, language, and color every year. And believing in Jesus, they have been delivered from the most evil, disastrous, frustrating, debilitating habits and life forms possible. Didn't you see that in the testimony today? How people are saved? And he says the real problem with Jesus Christ is not that folk can't believe in him, but that they won't believe in him. Jesus died for everyone. Number five, he saw Jesus rising from the dead. He saw Jesus rising from the dead. Quite a vision. It's not like this was happening regularly. But Isaiah got this vision that Jesus would rise from the dead. And I think this, when Jesus read this, he must have been given hope. I'm gonna be a sacrifice for sins, but my father will raise me. Isaiah 53, 11, let's read it. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge, knowledge of the father's will. My righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities. The word justify, by the way, means just as if I'd never sinned justified, just as if I had never sinned. You with me? And so Jesus makes us as just as if we'd never sinned. Pretty amazing, eh? But we're talking about his resurrection. It says, and you will bear increase. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. You, you will end up amongst the great and you will sit in heaven. You will divide the spoils with the strong. You'll give gifts to people after he's ascended. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession. For the transgressors, he entered heaven, offered his blood, and then was resurrected for our life. He would be so badly beaten that he would die an absolute horrible and shocking death. But then God would completely transform that, and he would come out almost like running into the light of life and be resurrected with new life. Isn't that powerful? I mean, only God can do that to a person who's marred beyond recognition. And the resurrection proves that Jesus uh, was honored by God because God raised him from the dead. The Pharisees would have read Isaiah. They would have partly believed it. They would have listened to Jesus' disciples who would have taught the Isaiah to people and taught of the resurrection. And, um, and the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. 
<laughs> Some caught that at the end. Oh. But the Pharisees believed it. That's why they said to Pilate, secure the tomb. And they put a guard outside the tomb because Jesus would break through that. And Isaiah saw that even a big stone with guards couldn't prevent it. And we know the resurrection took place and we'll celebrate that on Sunday in a very, very special way. You don't want to miss that, in fact. But they wanted the tomb secured, but Jesus exchanged his life for ours. Even when he was tried, Barabbas was taken, the guilty one was set free, and the innocent one was kept. It's a picture of us. We go free while Jesus takes our punishment, and then he rose as resurrected Lord. When John saw him on the island of Patmos, the Bible declares in Revelation that he was the ruler of the kings of the earth, and John also says that his eyes were like flames of fire. This amazing Jesus was resurrected. Isaiah saw all that happening. And, and church, come on, the odds of this happening to someone are very slim. I, I read a book called Science Speaks by Peter Stoner, very ancient book. That's why I didn't show you the cover. Because if I show you the cover, you'd be like, Ugh. But he met with a scientific institute called the American Scientific Affiliation. And they, based on science, worked out the probability of someone in history fulfilling just eight of the 60 prophecies of Jesus. This is what they came back and said. The probability that Jesus could have fulfilled eight of such prophecies would only be one in 10 to the power of 17. That's one with 17 noughts, you can't even pronounce it. Jesus fulfilled it because it was God's will and God showed it to Isaiah, warning us and confirming to us that this was his plan. Number six and I'm nearly done. You still with me? And we're going to take communion when we're done. He saw a Jesus who demands a response. He saw a Jesus who demands a response. You know, today you can be in this building and I can share all this with you and you can go, hmm, interesting. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is that you respond. Jesus said to the disciples in John 5, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But the scriptures speak of me but you refuse to come to me that you might have life. You see, you don't just read the Bible and read history. There's a response that's required. You need to come to him. And I want to pick up here again, because Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been? In other words, are people taking this serious? Literally, Isaiah is saying here, who really cares about or believes what we're saying? But people do, and people respond. Now, let's get all the way back as we come to a close here. To Philip. And the Ethiopian eunuch, he jumps into the chariot and he explains Isaiah. Now notice what happens when you, when you get Isaiah explained to you like I've done today. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus, that Jesus would be your sacrifice, your substitute. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch didn't say, let's have a drink, I'm thirsty. And the eunuch says, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being? Baptized. That's why we're having a baptism at 3 p.m. today. Because you can go outside, fill in a response card, get a change of clothes, and respond. Watch. He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. You see, you can't just listen and not respond. It rec the, the Messiah responds, uh, requires a response. And the eunuch realized, Isaiah was speaking about good news. I can be saved. And Philip didn't take the water bottle. They would have had a water bottle in the chariot. These are royalty. He didn't take the water bottle and say, oh, in the name of Jesus, G -g -g. no, no. He, he made a full-on commitment. There needs to be a consecration because of the magnitude of what Jesus did. Can't kind of like go, thanks. 
There needs to be a total response. Now, before I pray with you this morning, let me just share with, with you, many of you would have watched in the news on Monday, and Pastor Bilma shared it during the offering. The cathedral in Paris, the Notre Dame, was on fire. And it was a shocking sight. Uh, the place was literally burnt to the ground. Uh, all all the, the roof structure was burnt. The spire fell down. 400 firemen were fighting that fire. Dreadful, dreadful thing to watch. We've been to Paris so many times. And to watch it was devastating. But CNN, when the fire was put out, brought out a report and showed this picture. And this is what they said. They said, amid the smoke and ash, the cathedral's altar and cross are still intact. You, you know what the world has tried to do? It's tried to burn down the church. It's tried to destroy the image of Jesus Christ. It's tried to replace what Jesus says with other truths, with other prophets. But all the fires of hell can't destroy the cross and can't destroy the altar. And you know what? Right here today, having heard the explanation, we must look at the cross but come to the altar. Because the right response to the cross is to put ourselves on the altar and to say, Lord, take my life, as it says in Romans 12. Romans, the whole book is about Jesus' sacrifice. Then chapter 12, put yourself on the altar. So today, I want you to come to the altar. If you've gone away from Jesus, you've taken your life back in your hands like a sheep, you've bah all over the place, maybe today it's time to come back. Say, Lord, I've gone my own way. Today, I put myself at the altar. I come to your cross. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.